Hey guys, we're going to get to another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real. It's again a podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow, where we try to become the best friends of ourselves as we can, as we continue to serve our Lord. Again, you guys can find the podcast on YouTube or anywhere else you can get your podcast. We're just so thankful you guys are here um, and that you guys are with us today. All right, y'all. I've been waiting a week for this. There's been excitement. There's been conversations. There's been text. There's been, it's been so great. I've been so excited to cover part five. And Monday is finally here and we are ready to go. Um, so if you don't already know, we are covering um, a Boaz and Ruth series. We've been doing this for the past maybe two weeks or so. This has just been a great study, great feedback. Um, this has just been such a fun thing to do with you guys. And I'm really appreciative, not only just for this series, but everything that you guys have said for the previous podcast as well. This has just been incredible. And I'm looking forward to continue to study uh, the scripture with you like this. Um, so I'm, I'm pumped, man. I'm so excited. I waited a week for this and now it's finally here. Okay. So before we hop into part five, really quick, just some quick things to, to let you know. So if you look under whatever you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple or Spotify or even YouTube, if you look under in the, um, in the comment section there, you'll see a, a couple new links. So you'll see a Patreon link. So we have Patreon now. So I'm thankful to be partnered with with them. So you can look at a couple tiers there to help support the podcast. We appreciate everything um, that you guys are already doing, but that's just kind of a new thing to help support us. Um, and then also we have the merch link there. Um, you guys have done such an amazing job with the merch. And it's so cool to see people walking around with merch on. So that's amazing. And then also... Um, we also have the support link uh, underneath that as well. So the podcast, guys, it will always be free, but, you know, just using this to find other ways to support us and help us out. So love you guys. Thank you guys for everything that you do. And um, we're looking forward to many more years of continuing to study and, and be a part of your guys' lives. Okay, let's get into this. So we are in, up to this point, we have basically four parts plus a prequel, okay, up to this point. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to everything else up to this point because there is so much information on all of that other stuff, and I don't want you to miss anything as we keep moving forward here in our series. So go listen to all those, and then you'll get caught up to where we are today. So today we're in part five of this series. So we're going to entitle this one Boaz and Ruth Part 5, the excitement. Boaz and Ruth part five, the excitement. There is going to be so many, so many little nuggets and so many good things that we can pull out of this. But again, just like we did in every other one, sometimes we got to take our time and we got to pull these words out and we really have to take time to explain some of this stuff so that we can really paint a picture in our minds to really see what's happening. So whether you have your Bible in front of you or if you're walking or jogging or working, you can have this picture painted in your mind to really hone in so all of us can be locked in to see what's really happening here. So before we hop into this, let's give a quick recap. So we ended part four last week with chapter three. So remember Naomi and Ruth, Naomi had the plan, you need to go up to the threshing floor. And when you go to the flesh, the, to the threshing floor, you lay at his feet, and then he'll tell you what to do. But remember, Ruth was so excited that she said, just please cover me. Please cover me. And Boaz, you treated me so much better in the latter end than you did in the beginning. So now they want to get together. Both sides, their feelings are mutual. 
so many things have happened up to this point for them to be in this exact moment. And if, if things were lining up in both of their lives, they almost kind of see in both sides, my hope was gone. Things were difficult and things just seem to be lining this up so much closer to this person. And everything seems to be working out so perfectly. And like life loves to do something, there's a wrench always thrown into your plans. And when that wrench is thrown in for Boaz and Ruth, the wrench was the other kinsman. Boaz, I want to be with you. I really want this. But there's somebody else that has right to you before I do. So then Ruth's feelings just completely sinks. She goes back home and she goes back to Naomi, even though Boaz takes care of her with giving her grain. But she comes back to Naomi just almost in tears and crying because things seem to be working out so well. And then now Naomi encourages Ruth at the end of chapter three. I know things are tough, but you need to sit here and stand still and see how the matter will fall. And that's where we ended last week. So there was a lot of highs. There were a lot of highs in chapter three, but then it, it just ended on such a low point. But now we find ourselves in chapter four. I'm so pumped to, to keep going on this journey with you guys. Let's get started. Boaz and Ruth, part five, the excitement. Now, Boaz finds himself. He's going to go meet that nearest kinsman. So let's let's check out what happens. Beginning in verse one. Then went Boaz up to the gate, and he sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, whom he said, look, such a one. Turn aside and sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. Now, let's break this. There's a lot here in verse one. So where's Boaz sitting here, guys, according to verse one? He's sitting at the gate. So let's let's take our time here and let's paint the picture in our minds. The gate was extremely important here at this time. Here's why this was important. The gate was basically where business was held, but it was almost kind of like an all-in-one business place to where you can go in there, you can, you can, you can dispute a case, you can go in there and you can buy things, you can go in there and get advice from the elders. Everything public, every public transaction happened at the gate. So if there was an issue, if there was a problem, if there was a dispute, if you wanted to buy something, if you needed wisdom, you go to the elders and you talk to them at the gate. And that's where all that stuff was happening. So where did Boaz go? He went to that place. Now, here's what's interesting. Just, just for you guys, if you're, if you're like taking notes with me as we go through this, if we're going to kind of point this, I guess, the first thing that I would, I would pull out here is that Boaz was very tactful. That's the first thing that I'm seeing. He used tact. And, and we'll see that a little bit more, but I want you to kind of write that down as we continue to build our foundation here. So Boaz is sitting at the gate. Now, here's what's cool about how um, this book kind of compares and contrasts. So at this time, guys, the world was so different than what it is today. Women then were basically almost viewed as lower than property, right? That's literally how bad it was. They were viewed almost as lower than property. And men, everything that they did was viewed in public in terms of transactions or whatever it was. So look at the transition of our book here. So chapter three, you have two women doing something in private. So they're talking in private and they go up to the threshing floor. And you remember what time it was when Ruth went up to the threshing floor? 
midnight. So what women do, they did things in private. But now you we switch from that from that women's point of view in chapter three. Now we switch over and we change our lenses from Naomi and Ruth and we put those lenses on Boaz now. Now we see a public dispute. Now we see how things are handled publicly. Okay, so I thought that was really interesting how chapter three and chapter four gives us kind of the the best of both worlds here from their perspective, but then also from Boaz's perspective. Now, as we look at this, notice, remember, he's sitting at the gate. Look at all this stuff packed in verse one, which is crazy. This is why whenever you guys study, don't rush. You really look at this stuff. Okay, so you can paint the picture. So Boaz is sitting at the gate. And as he's sitting by the gate, guys, who just happens to walk by? Who just happens to walk by this nearest kinsman? Isn't that very interesting how this book works? Remember in chapter two, when 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 Ruth, when she was gleaning in the fields, notice verse three. I, I don't want you to miss this. And she went and she came and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And it was her hat was to light on the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to be there. Very interesting, isn't it? She just happened to be working in his field. She didn't know. And now you have Boaz doing what Ruth did in chapter 2, but Boaz is sitting at the gate, and who just happens to walk by? This nearest kinsman. So a couple interesting things about this. Whenever in Scripture, whenever you see something just happen, it's not coincidence. It's the Lord working. And I think what we have to do, guys, we have to, it, it worked then and it continues to work now. We have to get comfortable with saying the Lord let this happen. The Lord moved. The Lord allowed. The Lord took away. The Lord provided. I think what we have to, and myself included, I think what we have to do, we need to do a better job of giving God the credit of what he's actively doing in the world today. Now, if we look at Ruth chapter 2, we look at Ruth chapter 4, who's not going to say God's not moving? God was moving. So don't we serve the same God Ruth and Boaz served? So if God moved for them, why would he not move for us on our behalf? But here's the thing. Sometimes we get, we get ourselves kind of jumbled up, and this is why. Because we can't explain how God is moving, then we won't say that was God because we're kind of afraid of sounding like this and sounding to this and sounding to that. But is that the truth? So if God moved, God moved. So sometimes we, we have to learn to seriously just give God his credit. And so I think that's such an important lesson to learn. Just give God his credit. So it's, it's interesting that in chapter two, Ruth just happened to be at the field. Boaz is sitting at the gate and he just happens to walk by. You put two and two together, guess what that is, guys? That's God. <laughs> That's God. So now, here's what's interesting, too. So let's paint this picture. Now, remember at the end of chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth were at home. Chapter 4, this, this is a new day. So as Boaz is sitting at the gate and the man walks by, guess who may be around? Remember, because this is like a marketplace, 
right? Because have you ever guys been to like a, have you ever been to like a farmer's market or like a little event or whatever it is in your local town? That's kind of how this was every day. So you can be in a meeting here and people can kind of be around. So it's very interesting that Naomi and Ruth could have been around what was happening here. Okay, so keep that in mind. So now this nearest kinsman, he comes. Now, let's put our glasses on Boaz so we can really hone in and we can lock in on Boaz's feelings and what he was seeing. So remember in chapter three, where was Boaz's emotions at? It was up here. Because you got to think, it was up here for a lot of reasons. I'm just doing my work like normal. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I wake up and Ruth is at my feet. And then now she she says that she wants me to cover her. I've been that's a dream. I mean that I'm up here. But then you realize that you're second to her. Now your emotions are down. So here's why we call this the tact. He was tactful. What Boaz could have done, he could have went into this meeting with such high emotion because I feel this way for this girl, because I love her so much, because I want to be with her so much, this guy, the law, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to do things, that honestly doesn't matter because my emotions matter first. You see, here's the thing, guys, and this is a lesson that all of us have had to learn and I've had to learn too. Never lead into anything with your emotions. Now, when people say stuff like that, you automatically think, well, what do you want me to be, a robot? Like I can't feel, like I, I can't have emotions, I can't have feelings. You see, we try to separate those two things. You can have and you can express and you can feel and you can be involved in emotion because we are creatures of emotion. God is a God of emotion, but they're never led by it. It's one thing to feel it and to express it. It's another thing to be led by it. So what's Boaz doing? He's feeling it, but he's not letting that emotion control him. So he's coming into this situation tactfully. So what if Boaz, because I love her, because I want her, forget what everybody else thinks, my feelings and what I want matters above anybody else. So I'm going to come in front of this guy, whatever his name is, we don't know, but I'm going to grab him. Look, I want this girl. You're going to give her to me. See, he could have handled the situation like that, but notice he uses tact to do things. That's If there's one lesson that you're going to have to learn, especially you guys out there, you're going to have to learn to deal with things, and you're going to have to learn how to deal with people tactfully. I think sometimes we think because we're right, that because we're right and because I have said truth and said situation, that therefore... No matter what I say or what I do or how I present it, I can say whatever I want to in any way that I want to because I have said truth. You see, that's 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 wrong as well. Even if you do have said truth, that's wrong. So Boaz, yeah, I want you. I'm in the line. But there's somebody else above me because I feel this way. I'm just going to go hard and I'm just going to go whatever I want. You see, guys, whenever you meet emotion with emotion, if you meet one side with anger and then another side has anger, 99.9% of the time, you are always going to have a blow up and you're always going to have a clash every single time because one emotion always has to win over the other one. So if one side's angry and another side's angry, 
well, let's see whose anger can go over each other. So we're going to battle. I got a point. No, I got a point. No, I got a point. No, I got a point. So so then you see you got you got issues. You got issues because one side always has to win. One side always has to win. So Boaz could have handled that situation like that. He could have if he wanted to. But notice what he did. He went to the gate. He sat down with the elders. And he tactfully said, hey, friend, you just happen to be here. Come on, man. Come come over here. Take a seat. Sit here next to us. You see, he used some tact. You, you have to use tact. And tact is not a, um, it's not a tool. It's not manipulation. Tact is doing things in a, in a peaceful and a respectable and in a, um, it, it just, it's a good way to deal with situations in, in that type of manner. And that's what Boaz decided to do. So now, uh, verse three, now here, now we're, now we're getting into the conversation. Now, remember, Boaz still has all these feelings because what this man has to say determines if I can be with the girl that I love. So Boaz could have been all over the place emotionally, all over the place emotionally, which, again, really quick side note for you guys. Yes, you can feel emotion, but even with you guys feeling emotion, we got to stay. You have you have to feel it, but you have to you have to stay strong in that emotion. So Boaz is handling this so well, and we can learn this as well, guys. Okay, so let's keep going. So he said to the kinsman, Naomi that's come back from the country of Moab, she wants to sell um, a part of her land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise it to everybody else, and I thought to buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people, but if you will buy it, then why don't you just go on and buy it? But if you don't want to buy it, if you don't want to redeem it, then I'll redeem it because there's nobody else. So notice how notice how Boaz tactfully said this. So he didn't involve Ruth in the deal. He handled it with Naomi first, which I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Why do, I, why do you know that? In Deuteronomy chapter 25, when you read verses 5 through 10, it gives the law of what Boaz is doing here. Now, there's, these are two businessmen talking here. So Boaz being smart, I'm not going to say Ruth's name yet. I'm going to say Naomi wants to sell the land, which is true. And I'm going to say if you want to redeem it because you're first, you can redeem it, which was true. So from Boaz's perspective, I'm just going to present this just with Naomi first. Because here's what he realized. If I say it with Naomi first, then I think he's going to just want to buy the land. Now, what is his response? So he hears this, and what does he say at the end of verse 4? I'll buy it. I'll redeem it. Now, from Naomi and Ruth's perspective, because they're not in this inner circle, if they just hear this guy say, I will redeem it, they're probably freaking out. <laughs> no way. No, 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 no. I got to marry this guy. Why don't? I don't want him to redeem it. But Boaz is just keeping his cool. Boaz is like this. And guys, a skill, young men, there is a skill. And I, I call this a skill. There's a skill that you're going to need to develop, to develop. When things just around you are just like this, 
things are happening, financials are happening, emotions are happening. It is a skill to feel those things, to understand what's happening, but to stay so even keel. That's what I'm trying to work on to do a little bit more. You know, there's always points and things that I want to work on and, and I hope you want to work on too. Just to stay like this, man, to stay even keel, ready to go, ready for a plan, ready to know what to do, ready to bend, to go on my knees and pray, pray on the Lord, you know, pray for the Lord's help. Just stay even keel. So when this guy said, oh, yeah, I'll buy it. Now, for us, we might think, well, that's the worst thing that can happen. But for Boaz, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. Why? Now, notice what he says, verse 5. Then Boaz said, what day you buy the field of Naomi, so whenever you want to buy this, you must also buy Ruth the Moabitess. Isn't it very interesting? And I don't want you guys to miss this. Throughout this book, the only other time that Boaz says the Moabitess is when he asks for who this is. Is this Ruth the Moabitess? But throughout all those other times that they met, he just called her Ruth because he loved her. But now in front of this guy, he says, okay, if you want to buy the field, that's great. But you know you're also going to have to buy the field, and you're also going to have to marry Ruth the Moabitess. Now, what did Boaz know? He knew that the culture at the time, they hated Moab. And so he's when the other kinsmen would have heard Moabite, he would have shook. He would have shivered. Wait, I got to marry her? I, I got to get this just to get the field? No, 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 no. No, I, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do it. Now, here's what this other kinsman, he thought he was getting a deal. Because he said, you know what? If I buy the field and I marry Naomi, she's too old. So even if I would go in unto her, she can't have kids. So I get what I want. It's a win-win situation for me. So this near kinsman's like, yeah, I'll buy it. This is great. But then he's like, ah, by the way, not only do you have to take Naomi, but you got to take Ruth too. So why do you think he said no? It's, it's very interesting that a lot of scholars, and there's a lot of things written in Jewish history about this, but many people believe that this nearest kinsman, that his sons were already grown men. So what does that mean? If I take Ruth to get this field, I would have to have a child by Ruth so that her line won't die. So if I have a child by Ruth and that child is a boy, then my grown sons, they are underneath that boy. So that ruins my whole inheritance. So that's why he said, no, nah, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. Watch what he says, verse 6. The kinsman said, I can't, I can't do that for myself lest I hurt my own inheritance. You see, that shows that his older sons were a little older. So now if I go to Ruth and she has a boy, that ruins everything that I planned for. I can't redeem that right now. There's, dude, <laughs> there's so many applications here. So with the tact here, here's what's, here's what's so great about this. Ladies, there's going to be points in your life where you're going to meet a guy and he's going to say, He's going to think he's getting a deal. Oh, well, well, we can just, I can just get with you and everything's going to be great. But then you're going to want more. And then he's going to say, well, I, yeah, I, I can't redeem you. I, I can't, I can't be with you. So the application is what this near kinsman wanted. He wanted everything else but Ruth. 
You see, sometimes there's going to be some guys out there that they want everything that comes with you but you. They want everything that comes with you but you. And so Boaz wanted everything that came with Ruth and Ruth. Those are two different type of guys, ladies, two different type of guys. And so what this near kinsman, he thought he was getting a deal. And so when you think about just for application, well, I can't do this. I can't redeem you because I'm going to ruin my inheritance. So what could be somebody's inheritance today? Well, you know what? I don't want to be with you because, I mean, to be honest, you're not the only girl that I'm interested in. There's there's probably three or four more I could be with. Not saying that I don't want to be with you, but I got a couple others. Guess what, ladies? He wants the inheritance more than you. This should be real. He wants the inheritance more than you. We have to look at things as the Bible is saying it. And so when you have somebody like Boaz that wants you and wants everything that comes with you, he's ready to redeem you. But if you meet somebody that wants you, but not everything that comes with you, he's not ready to redeem you. Now, let's make a quick note. Men and guys need time to mature at times. Now, there's just guys that are just, that's just how they live. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse. And I'm not making any excuse for those guys because that's just how they live. But there's some young men and sometimes, unfortunately, some older men that have the concept that they're always not ready. And so as that's why men need men to help us to get ready to commit for you. Okay, so you have to look at things like this. So you have guys like Boaz in this world and you have guys like the near kinsman. And isn't it interesting, guys, that the man that was willing to redeem Ruth, his name is literally all throughout the book of Ruth. But the man that didn't want to redeem Ruth, they don't even tell him his name. Don't you think that's that's an interesting thing the Lord put in there? I'm just just throwing just throwing nuggets out there. Just throwing nuggets out there for you to think on and chew on, right? So if we're pointing this out, we have like verses like one through six. We have the tact. Boaz was tactful in how he handled the situation, even though internally his emotions were probably going everywhere. And maybe even for Ruth and Naomi, their their emotions were probably going everywhere. So now you have the tact. But then now you have, if we're pointing this out. Now we have the transaction, all right? Now, let's keep going. Uh, let's, let's pick up in, let's pick up like in verse 7. Okay, so he says in verse 6, man, I, I can't redeem this for myself. I'm going to ruin my own inheritance. Why don't you redeem it for yourself? For I cannot do it. I'm not going to do it. So now verse 7. Now, this was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and he gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. So let's break this down, the transaction. There's a couple things that's happening here. So just so we can paint a picture. So when you would, um, when you would deal with a transaction here, you would deal with it in a couple ways. One way was literally by a piece of paper. Now keep this piece of paper in mind, guys, because I promise you was gonna it's you're gonna need this in a second. Sometimes they would take a piece of paper and that paper would be sealed. 
right? You guys ever seen um, like kids, maybe even adults, maybe even yourself, you ever seen kids play with glow sticks? And when you play with glow sticks and you kind of snap the middle, then everything on the inside makes that color glow, right? So that's what a seal was on a piece of paper. So sometimes if you're watching the video, I got a pen in my hand. So the seal would be around the middle of that paper. And so you would take your hand on either side of that paper and you would kind of pop it and that would open up the scroll. So that's how you would deal with the transaction. That's how a transaction would be made. And that's how you know it was official because the seal was popped. Okay. So that's one way. And, and Boaz concerning this, there was a way that he handled this. And then also the second way that they handled it was you would take off your shoe and you would give it to the man that the other nearest kinsman. Now, on both sides, there's honor in this and there's dishonor in this. So the man that took off his shoe and gave it to Boaz, that's dishonor. Now, you know, we think today if you want a new pair of shoes, you can just go buy a new pair of shoes. But back then, you don't know if this is his only pair of shoes. So you have this guy and everybody in the town knows because I, I don't have my shoe. You didn't redeem somebody. That's dishonorable. But then you have Boaz who has that shoe in his hand, and that's a sign of honor. Wait, you've got the shoe. You're willing to redeem and avenge and be there for her? That's a sign of honor. So that's, what, that's the transaction that's happening now in verse number seven. right? So that's the transaction happening. So verse 8, therefore, the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And so he took off his shoe. <laughs> this is, I want you to think about this for a second. Even if Ruth and Naomi were near or even if they were at the house, I want you to imagine Boaz's excitement. A man that has stayed, when, when, even when older guys, myself included, even when men get excited, we still kind of act like little kids, okay? We're really big kids at heart. No matter how old we get, we're still big kids at heart. And, and imagine, imagine Boaz handling all this stuff as a man, handling all this stuff with God, handling all this stuff with grace. And he gets that shoe. And imagine Boaz running back to the house and he's like, I got it. I got the shoe. I got it. We can get married. I love you. You're the best at work. The Lord is good. He's with us. Imagine the excitement in that older man running back home with that shoe. And now they see the Lord. It worked. The, the plan worked. And we're just so thankful that we can be together. And, and it's such a wonderful thing that when you plan with the Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything will always work out in your favor. But any plan without God won't work in your favor. So even if the plan with God in your eyes, quote unquote, doesn't work, guys, keep planning with God. I know it can be discouraging and I know that, you know, you can almost look like, well, how come the Lord hasn't helped me? How come the Lord hasn't provided for me? I'm doing this with him. It's not like I'm trying to do it without him, but it seems as if he's not doing it for me, but he's doing it for others. Guys, there's there's some things in the Lord's infinite wisdom and in, in our own wisdom that, that we just don't understand. There's going to be things that the Lord takes away. There's going to be things that the Lord gives. There's going to be things that the Lord gives back to you, regardless of what he does. 
But any plan with God is always worth it. So please keep planning with him. And Boaz and Ruth is such a beautiful example of planning with him. And I know, I know I've been in situations like this. You've been in situations like this where you're like Abram and Sarah, and you're just like, man, maybe it might happen this way. Maybe it might happen this way. And you try to make plans rather than just giving God your plans. And I think that's that's a discipline that I haven't been the greatest at, and I want to get better and, and work at that. It's not necessarily me being detailed and planning everything out. Not saying that we're not to be wise, but me giving the plan over to the Lord. I think that's a different mindset. And I think Boaz being the man that he was, he could have planned it. He could have made his own plan. He could have made his own choices. He could have made his own decisions. And really quick, guys, let's stop right here. And fellas, I don't want you to miss this. And ladies, I don't want you to miss this either. When a man is working for the Lord, when he's doing what the Lord wants him to do, sometimes that man looks stagnant. Sometimes it looks like he's not making a choice. Sometimes it looks like he's not acting quick like you want him to act, ladies. And a lot of times, ladies, what you can do is you can get angry with him. Well, if you were a man, you would make a choice. Well, if you were a man, you would have did this quicker. Well, if you were a man, you would take control. You see how you can twist the narrative? Fellas, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. See, fellas, what we got to do is the things that we have to deal with and the things that we take and the things that we shoulder and the things that the Lord puts on us Sometimes you can't take quick action. Sometimes you can't do things as quick as our ladies and other people want you to do. Sometimes you got to take your time, and sometimes you have to spend time in prayer. Sometimes you have to spend your time in study. Sometimes you have to spend your time meditating on what you need to do. And if somebody wants you to rush for things, it might not be the right thing for you at the time. And, fellas, don't let anybody pressure you into making decisions because you're slow, because you take time. Guys, that's wise. And I know sometimes you can feel like, man, am am I a man? Am I doing things correctly? Because they said I'm not making choices real quick. They said I'm not doing things right. They said I'm not. And I I know what that feels like, guys, but you can't. You got to be wise. You got to be wise. And, And other guys, anybody can rush you into doing whatever they want you to do. But sometimes, guys, you got to take your time and you have to pray on things and you have to be wise. Okay, please be wise. And so the reason why sometimes we take time to do this is so that we can. So your lives and the things that are happening, ladies, can be better for you. And sometimes to get better, things can't be rushed. Sometimes to get better, things can't be rushed. And Boaz understood that. And Ruth understood it, and Naomi understood that. Good things can't be rushed. And sometimes Abram tried to rush things. Maybe you're trying to rush things. I've rushed things. And when you rush things, sometimes you're making you're making snap decisions really quick, and you're not really thinking about the decisions that you're making. And you're making all these snap decisions hoping that things are going to work, but you're not taking the time to consult God and to consult each other, and to consult everybody else about what does God think? What does God want us to do, right? So that takes time. That takes time. And sometimes, guys, you got to fail at that. And I failed. I'll be the first to raise my hand. I failed at that miserably. 
but I'm trying to be better at doing that for myself. And those that I help and those that maybe will be attached to me in the future, I want to be better for them in, in that aspect as well. So I think Boaz understood that. Okay. So now just imagine the, the happiness of Boaz. Imagine the happiness of Boaz just running home. The plan and the Lord was with us. It worked. And that's the beauty of not rushing is that everybody can come together and everybody can say, we waited, we prayed, we meditated, and the Lord provided. That's the best feeling literally in the world. When God provides you something and you technically didn't do anything to get it, I can't explain to you the level of comfort and ease that feeling feels, but it's almost like I was an idiot for trying to figure it out. I was dumb. <laughs> like, that's on me. That's my fault. But when God provides you something and you're just, and you just do what you know to do, to be consistent, to love those that love you, to love those that hate you, to be there for them, to truly love them, to love everybody, to, to do what the Lord wants you to do. When you are consistent in the heart that he told you to have, when he provides you the quote unquote shoe, <laughs> when he provides you the shoe, that's a level of excitement and happiness that I wish I could explain, but I can't. It's a it's an amazing feeling because you know you didn't mess it up and you know whatever this is, whether that's a person, place, or thing, that was God. And I trusted him and it worked. Guys, in your lives right now, things might be hard and difficult. And I know, I know the the pressure and I know the I know the temptation because I want to plan things. I know the temptation to want things planned so perfect. I know I know what that feels like. But the the feeling of God giving you something is way better than any plan you could ever think of. So take your time, pray with the Lord, wait for him, have the right heart he wants you to have, Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 9, and the Lord will provide the shoe. <laughs> You know, isn't it interesting how, like, our love stories come from Boaz? You know, you think about Cinderella, you know, the, the the golden slipper, you know, the crystal slipper. Then you have Boaz with the shoe. You know, I want the Lord to provide me the shoe so that I could give the shoe to somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some different stuff. That, okay, let's keep going before I, before I keep going here. That's That's good. There's some different stuff here. So you have the tact here. You have the, you have the transaction that's happening. But now, this is where it gets ridiculous. I mean, it's been ridiculous up to this point already. But here's where it gets super ridiculous. So now, like verses 8 through 22, now you have the triumph, okay? Now you have the triumph. Okay, so verse 9. So Boaz said to the elders and unto all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought everything that's Elimelech's and all that was Shilhans and Malhans of the, of the sons of Naomi. Or moreover, verse 10, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malhan, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the dead from his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. All of you are witnesses this day. Again, this is where the seal, right? This is where the seal would come in place because now all of this is being made official, okay? Verse 11. All right, verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders, they said, we are witnesses. 
the Lord make the woman that has come to your house like Rachel and Leah? I just think this is a quick, beautiful image here. Remember how Naomi felt coming here. I feel out of place. I'm not even like them. You know, I'm 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 literally from a different people than them. And she said she would come back with Naomi, but I'm sure there were doubts in her mind. And notice what they're saying about her now. May you have children, and who are they associating her with now? You're not just you're not a Moabitess. You're associated with Rachel and Leah, the matriarchs of the twelve tribes. Like that's that's another level. But again, is this something that Ruth, you know, tried to tried to get? Is this something that Ruth planned for? That she planned to get this guy? Well, I got a plan to get with him because if I plan to get with him, then if I'm with him, then everybody's gonna praise me because I'm with him. If I get with him, then we can have the same last name and then I can have what comes with him. You see what I'm saying? She's not planning any of this stuff. Ruth was just the woman she was supposed to be, and God gave her Boaz. And I think sometimes we try to we try to pre-plan stuff too much where we don't let God work. And sometimes, guys, you got to give God time. You got to give God time. We're going to get into that later. But now you have the triumph, right? May she be like Rachel and Leah, which built the house of Israel and do worthily in Epaphrata and be famous in Bethlehem in the house of bread, right? Verse 12, and let your house be like the house of Pharaoh's who Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord will give you of this young woman. So now here's where it gets amazing. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left you. Hmm. What did Naomi say in chapter 1 and 2 when she got back? The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord is angry with me. The Lord has afflicted me. And what does she say now? What are the women telling her? Your name is not bitter. The Lord has blessed you, and the Lord has not left you. This is ridiculous. This is, this is, ooh, this is ridiculous. Quick, quick thing. Obviously, for the, for the guys, you can take this principle because this is true for you. But for you ladies out there, there's ladies in different situations. There's single mothers. There's mothers that are separated. There's, there's, there's ladies that have never been married. And sometimes all of you can be kind of put in the same realm. You can feel forgotten. You can feel like the Lord has dealt bitterly with you. You can feel like the Lord has left me. You can feel like the Lord has afflicted me with these people in my life and with the people that I chose to marry. Here's what's so beautiful about this book. The Lord is so good that even with our bad decisions, a la Abraham, Genesis 12, or Genesis 16. The Lord is so powerful, and he moves in such powerful ways that if it's according to his will and how he prescribes it, right? I got to put that out there. According to his will, not yours, and how he prescribes his will, God can make, I mean, he can make a masterpiece out of a mess. 
oh man, our God is amazing, guys. He can he can make a masterpiece out of a mess. And I think so many times, I think the messier things get and the harder things get, I think that's a tactic of Satan because he wants us to see you are so messed up. The decisions you made, you're so messed up. The choices that you made in your past and that you're making now, young lady, older woman, young woman, you are so messed up. And not only would God, he doesn't want you, what God would want you either? Ladies, I'm, I'm telling you guys, please don't believe that lie. Because there's nobody else on the planet that loves you more than our God. And Ruth is a, a ridiculous, insane example of that. And Naomi is too. I haven't left you. And when you really think about it, guys, I know the book is entitled Ruth. I know the book is about Ruth and Boaz. But I just want you to just chew on this for a little bit and just think about it. What if this book is about Naomi? And what if it's just about one woman who feels like the Lord has left her, the Lord isn't there, and the Lord doesn't care? What if the book is about her and God choosing one woman in Naomi and moving all these pieces, a la Ruth, a la Boaz, moving all these pieces in her life just to show one woman, I love you. That's how, that's the length. That is the length, ladies, fellas. That's the length that God will go for you. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Like, come on. That's sometimes, man, like I can't even fathom that sitting here. Like that's that the Lord would do that for me. Yeah. Now we're going to we're going to get into this in a second. I'm rushing myself. We're going to get into what a man would do for you, too. That's that's next level. But we'll get into that in a second. But I didn't I don't want you to miss that, man. That is just. That's ridiculous. So now. Uh, verse 14, uh, the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, which has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Now, verse 15. Now, the Lord did that for her, verse 14, right? But now, fellas, this is for us. Now, because God will go to all those lengths for one woman, fellas, notice what God wants us to do, guys. Verse 15. And he, talking about Boaz, what he's going to be for Naomi and Ruth, and he will be like a restorer of your life. That's that's ridiculous. He will nourish you till your old age. That's ridiculous. For your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better than you, than seven sons. This is a microcosm of what Boaz was going to do for Naomi, literally, and what he was going to do for Ruth, literally. And I want you to notice these words, restore, nourish, love. You know, these are words that you use for a plant. You guys ever see like, you know, maybe in your kitchen right now, you see like a dead plant and you see where it's just sitting there on the kitchen counter and it's just, it's literally just dead as dead can be. Leaves are falling off. There's no color. It's literally limping over. Ladies, fellas, specifically ladies, how many of y'all are like that plant? You've been left there on that on that table. Your leaves falling off. Nobody to support. 
nobody to love, and you're kind of leaning over. That's a real thing, right? So a man of God, not a project, I'm putting that out there, a man of God, what is a man of God going to do to a plant that looks like that? He will restore you. He will nourish you. And he will love you. You know a plant that's dead, you can bring that plant back to life if you restore it, if you nourish it, and if you love it, not just when she loves you back. You do it all the time. You know you can restore somebody like that. And then, fellas, for you, the same things that you're expected to do for her, guess what Ruth was for Boaz? She restored him because what was he? He was older. She nourished him, and she loved him. So, ladies, you have a responsibility to do the same thing for the man. You see how this is like, this is how it's supposed to be. But I think, again, here's what we do. We see these attributes. We say we want them. We pray for them. But then we meet people and we say, man, I hope you got it. I really hope you have those. Why not look for somebody that already has them? Or if they don't have them, you literally see that they're actively working to have it. Why is that? Why is that so hard? I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm asking, like, why is that so hard? And I think sometimes what we tend to do is we want to craft people into being what we want them to be rather than them having the ambition and desire to have that themselves. I think that's our problem. And I think we do that with Christian people, too. I think we try to craft them to be a nourisher to be a, a, a lover, to be a, a restorer. We try to craft them to be that rather than them having the ambition to want to be that for God and want them to be that for somebody else too. And then we end up being disappointed. And then what we do, then we have this bad attitude. So then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, well, all men are like this. Well, all women are like this. No, they're not. And that's not the right attitude for you to have. So, I mean, you got to grow up. Let's just be real. You got to grow up. I got to grow up if that's your attitude. And then you'll sit and talk to other Christians about how bad men are. You'll sit and talk to other Christians how bad women are. No wonder because both parties are probably single. And that's probably why you're single. Let's just be real. Let's just be real. But you see how you got to change your attitude? Who wants to be with somebody like that? You got to change your attitude, man. We have to switch it up. And so as we look at this, Notice the words, restore, nourish, and love. But here's the thing. Sometimes what we do, not only will we try to craft people to have those three things, but then here's what we'll do as well. We will be with somebody and we will settle for less. Why? Because I'm just comfortable with that person. Meaning he's not asking me to change. I'm not asking them to change. She's not asking me to change. I'm not asking for her to change. We're just going through the motions as Christians. We're not doing bad things, but we're not growing either. So then guess what you're going to have? You're going to have a level of comfort, but you're going to want to be restored. You're going to want to be nourished. You're going to want to be loved, but you're not going to want to grow, and he's not going to want to grow. So then guess what you're going to deal with? You're going to deal with, instead of somebody that wants to restore you, you're going to deal with somebody that's always inconsistent. Instead of having somebody that's going to nourish you, you're going to have somebody that's unstable. And instead of having somebody that loves you, you're going to have somebody that's going to give you leftovers. Ladies, which one do y'all want? I'm asking. 
I'm asking. I'm literally asking a question. Which one do y'all want? Just being real. Just being real. So now notice the triumph of this. And the women, verse 17, gave it a name, saying the son to Naomi, they called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Pharaohs. Pharaohs begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, Ram begat Amenadab, Amenadab begat Nashan, Nashan begat Solomon, Solomon begat Boaz, Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And that's how our book ends. But I want you to notice something real quick. I want you to notice a big application in the triumph. I want you to look at something real quick. Look at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to see this. John John is seeing all this stuff in a vision, right? And as John is seeing all this stuff, remember when Boaz, <clears throat> remember when he made that transaction? What did he have? He had a document and it was sealed, right? Notice what happens here. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book within and on the backside. And what was that book, guys? It was sealed with seven seals. Sounds like Boaz, doesn't it? Verse 2. So I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open up that book? And to open it and look on the book. So think about think about Ruth's feelings. Who's going to redeem me? Who's going to open up that seal to buy me, to, to have me as his wife? Who is going to open up that seal? And the angel here in Revelation 5 is saying the same thing. Who's going to open, who's worthy to open up that seal for us? Verse 3, no man in heaven or in earth neither under the earth. Nobody could do it. Nobody can open it. Doesn't that sound like the nearest kinsman? I don't want to do it. I'm not going to buy it. Nobody can open it. Who was worthy to open that book? The seven seals, nor neither in heaven and earth, verse three, was able to open the book, and no one could even look on that book. Verse four, and then I cried. In some ways, guys, Obviously, being redeemed to getting no to getting to know Christ, and to, and to put Him on and meeting the blood of Christ through baptism. Don't you want to get to know Him? But then on on the flip side of this book, contextually relation relationally, are are you at the point where you've looked, you've looked high, you've looked low, you've looked everywhere? You've tried to do things on your own. You've tried to force stuff. You've tried to make plans. You've tried to get with people. Now you feel burned. Now you feel jaded. Now you talk bad against men. Now you talk bad against women. And then ultimately, what's that a sign of? That's a sign of you just got hurt. And now you're bitter and jaded. And now, instead of crying, you're bitter. But here, they just cried. I wept. There's nobody. That, does, that, does that sound relatable to you? There's nobody. I wept because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book and to even look at it, verse 4. Verse 5, then one of the elders, where was Boaz at in chapter 4? With the elders. Then one of the elders said to me, don't cry. 
because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and what line was Boaz from? Judah. Huh. He has prevailed to open up the book, and what has he done with those seven seals? He's opened all seven, just like Boaz opened it up for Ruth. And behold, lo, in the midst of the throne, four beasts in the midst of the elders, behold, there stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him upon the throne. That lamb took the book, verse 8, and when he took the book, the four beasts and the 24 elders fell down, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are, are the prayers of the saints. Now, verse 9, this is, this is crazy. Verse 9. And they sung a new song. This is sick. Oh, okay. They sung a new song. So what was Naomi's song that she was singing in chapter one? The Lord doesn't love me. The Lord hates me. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. What's your song right now? The Lord hates me. The Lord doesn't love me. The Lord doesn't care about me. The Lord has afflicted me. That's the song that you're singing right now. So let's be real. That's the song that you're singing. But because of the Lamb of God, who was able to open up that seal, they sung a new song. What's Naomi's song now? The Lord has not left me. You need to get to the point, and I need to get to the point, where we stop singing that old song. And because of what Jesus did for us, whether you are married or whether you are single, you should have a new song in your heart. Come on, man. Come on, man. All right. So they sung a new song, verse 9, saying, you are worthy to take the book and you are worthy to open up the seal for you were slain and watch his word and you have redeemed us. What did Boaz do for Ruth? Redeemed her. Come on, guys. You've redeemed us to God by the people out of the blood of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. As Boaz opened up that seal, God opened up that seal and God has redeemed us. Come on, guys. Here's the thing. As, as we close this thought and as we close this idea today, I think as we've studied this book, and again, y'all thought it was over, we're going to have a part six. This is not over. This is not over. We got one more part. But as we close part five, as we close part five, guys, it's time for you to stop being bitter because of who hurt you, to stop being jaded because of what hasn't happened for you, to stop being petty because you're looking online and you're seeing everybody else's relationship instead of yours. It's time to stop singing that song. Aren't you tired of singing that song? That song gets tired to sing. And really... That's really a cry for sympathy. Guys, it's, it's time to sing a new song. And I'm just going to be real with you guys as we close this podcast. From the time I went to preaching school, all my friends, there, most of them, I'd probably say 80% of them, all of them were married by the time I graduated. And I love all those guys dearly. I was in some of their weddings. I love all of them, I love all their families, and I love all their kids. My closest friends here in this area 
the, the friends I went to camp with, with the friends I go to, to church with, all of them are married too. I love all of them, and I love all of their families dearly. But guys, it's got to come a point where whatever the Lord has given you or not given you, guys, the reason why we sing a new song in our heart is not because you're married. The reason why we sing a new song in our heart is because of Jesus. And if he gives you that, 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 that person that will restore, that person that will nourish, and that person that will love, I'm letting you guys know I'm 30. That is still 1,000 trillion, gazillion, billion times worth the weight. So until then, why would somebody want to be with you if you're still singing that old song? Guys, it's time for you to start singing Christ. So if you're single, stop saying that you are. If you're single, love the Lord. Sing his song to everybody. Sing his song everywhere that you are. Be consistent in singing that song. And the great thing about it is, who knows? You got two people singing the same song. Why not make it a duet? (laughs) If you got two people singing the same song. You see why we got to be consistent in singing? Come on, man. Like, that's that's next level stuff. That's how, we're, that's how we close it, man. That's part five, the excitement. How, how encouraging was that, guys? I mean, come on now. That was that was crazy. That was crazy. There's so much here. Um, I don't even know what to say now. <laughs> There's so much here as we look at that. But this is just such a, 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 a an encouraging book. It's just such a beautiful book, and there's so much more that I want to look at because there's one more part that we want to see. And just to give you guys a tease, we're going to call part six the end game, okay? Part six is the end game. So we got one more part. Thank you guys for being on this journey with us. Again, reach out. Let us know as you guys have continued to do. Send messages, send DMs, send texts, whatever it is as we grow and as we journey with God. God, guys, the Lord just, he's ready for us to sing a new song because of what Jesus did for us. And, you know, we can sing the song of sadness. We can sing the song of loneliness. We can sing the song of, of bitterness. We can sing the song of singleness. Or we can sing the song that Jesus died for us and he loved us. And just like Boaz did to Ruth, I just want to tell and help everybody that I can. And it just happened to be that in her heart, she was singing the same song as me. And guys, it is worth it to wait for somebody that is singing the same song that you are. Next level stuff, guys. Next level stuff. Again, there's links underneath uh, the YouTube page, so please check that out. Patreon, support link, and merch link. Love you guys. Um, We will be back with part six on Monday. Love you guys. Thanks, guys.